Everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is the big show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Shout out to our friends at Syringa Networks, home to complete business, telecom, and IT solutions, backed by an industry leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communication for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. We're going to talk to Keith Smith coming up here momentarily. Of course, he writes for Yahoo, Real GM, and Pro Basketball Talks. So we'll get his thoughts uh, on the latest uh, and his, his thoughts on the possibility of a, a return for the NBA, Gordon. Yes, uh, we're all on the edge of our seat waiting to hear uh, what what uh, the decision will be. And do you let me let me phrase it this way? Do you think that uh, a plan is in place, or do you think they really are waiting for more information to really? Decide, or do you think there? It's like scenario A, scenario B, scenario C, and this is what they'll react to if that is in fact the circumstance at the time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I think both can be true. I think they can be making plans, and I think they can be waiting on, you know, uh, on uh, the news and results and those sorts of things at the same time. In fact, they'd be smart if uh, uh, that's exactly what they were doing. Uh, let's get out of the Sprint special guest line, Gordon Sprint. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. He uh, makes the magic happen for Yahoo, Real GM, and Pro Basketball Talk. He's our good friend Keith Smith with us here on The Big Show. Keith, how are you and yours? Everybody doing all right? We're doing okay in this uh, crazy world we're in. Just going a little stir-crazy, but we're hanging in there. I hope the same for all of you. Absolutely, uh, 100%. And uh, we're, of course, following all the news in regards to the NBA in hopes that it could possibly return in some way, shape, or form. And based on uh, conflicting reports and the many reports today, it seems like at very least the players are talking about returning. What's your read on the news we've seen today? Yeah, it was interesting to see that initial report that there was kind of some informal polling going on, then a, uh, one saying that's not happening, followed up by it is happening, followed up by my colleague at Yahoo, Chris Haynes, reporting that there was a, a player call where it was just some, some of the league's bigger stars got together and talked. And, and it sounds like we're starting to come to a consensus that a good chunk of the players want to come back and play again and they want to finish out this season and they want to get it done. It seems to be a little hit or miss on those that are on teams that are clearly outside the playoff picture. But I, I think, you know, everybody, I don't want to say everybody, a good majority of people seem pretty united that the best direction here is to try to get this season finished out and that's on both the ownership side the league side the players association and the players so what's your best guess about what form it will take yeah, for a long time, I believed we were going to see all 30 teams in some semblance of finishing out the regular season. I'm starting to think that that just seems less and less likely. I think what they could do is something where they bring the teams that are that are in playoff contention still in and have those teams do something towards finishing out the regular season. Maybe those teams that are in in the playoffs for certain, they, they can treat it more like a preseason kind of warm-up for the playoffs. But Adam Silver seemed to be pretty – consistent in that he wants to have as close to a real playoffs as he can with seven game series and those types of things because there's a belief in the NBA that that crowns a more true champion than that the best team truly wins. You remove a lot of luck out of things.
things. So if you're going to do that, I think you're probably going to have to let go of the idea of finishing out real some semblance of a real regular season with all 30 teams. So I think maybe a shortened regular season uh, featuring maybe just play, uh, playoff contending teams and then right into the playoffs after that. How delicate is the testing issue? I mean, I think we all realize that significant testing would be a part of any solution, but the test not being available to everybody in the general public, how much is the NBA concerned with that? Yeah, they're extremely concerned. That's been from almost moment one when it was talked about anything with even letting the players come back into the facilities. It was, we're not going to do this if it means taking tests away from the general public. And that's taken on a couple different forms. And that seems to be going a little bit more uh, city by city, state by state, area by area type of thing. For example, here in Central Florida, the Orlando Magic, it sounds like maybe they're going to return to the practice facility tomorrow. It might be later this week. But part of the reason why they're going to do that is because they feel comfortable that testing is where it needs to be here in the Central Florida area where I live. And that seems to hold true. I know several folks who have gone and gotten a test and just because they weren't feeling so good and wanted to rule it out and make sure and, and they didn't have any issues. So I think it really is highly dependent on where they are. But for the league restarting play as a whole they've determined that they're going to need you know thousands upon thousands of tests available to them to make sure everyone is healthy and stays healthy and they're not going to do that if that means taking it away from folks who really need them because that's just a pr hit that the nba doesn't want to even you know start down that road so will the testing make it so that it'll be okay for the players to be involved with their families or friends? or uh, what, what does the testing mean as far as the living conditions for the players as they compete? Yeah, it seems to be leaning towards the single-site idea is going to be probably the only way this gets pulled off. There's just too many places in the in the, the NBA map that aren't going to be reopened in, in any uh, reasonable time to finish this thing out. It sounds like uh, Los Angeles County, which is home to a couple of teams, is going to do stay-at-home through, uh, through well into the summer, and that's going to be really hard for the NBA if they wanted to do anything with teams in their home market. So I think the idea is the single-site. Everyone gets tested when they come in and then you basically try to quarantine them it sounds like they're making arrangements that players can bring their family uh, that seemed to be a, a non-starter for everybody was we're not common if we can't bring families with us and that seems to be the NBA's in agreement with that and I think the, the two areas that have been most prominently mentioned by uh, Walt Disney World and Las Vegas are they, they're, they, they can do that they can you know handle the families coming with them and then you have to have tests available throughout because the idea is there is going to be you can't completely build the bubble that nobody gets in you're going to have to have food delivered you're going to have to have some things like that happen and you want to be able to 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 continue to test so they're going to want to make sure hey somebody you know is not feeling so hot or they're running a little bit of a fever let's get them a test and make sure we we know what this is right away Keith Smith is with us here on the big show on 97.5 and 1280 the zone do you expect most of the players to be on board with this or do you think there'll be some pushback I think you're going to get some pushback, and I think that's something that the NBA prides themselves on, that all of their players have a voice, all of their players are socially conscious. But at the end of the day, I think the vast majority of players are going to be uh, on board with this. I've talked to many uh, from all levels in the league and a lot of them are you know feeling of hey there's a lot of money at stake and and for the guys who they're they're really set for life they're they're the guys who've already signed those big massive contracts and they're going to be fine forever they're looking out for the guys who they, they might only have a year or two in the league 
and you know, for for all that it's more money than I'm ever going to make in a year, they're they're uh, they're it's still not you know comparative to hundreds of millions of dollars where they're set for the remainder of their life if they do nothing else. So I think their idea there is, hey, we we need to take care of everybody here, and there's a lot of money at stake for all. So I do think you're going to ultimately get a lot of the players on board, and then there's a competition factor that I don't think can be really overlooked here. This was a season where seven, eight teams believed, you know, hey, we have a chance at this. We can go out and win this championship. And I think those teams really want to get back in there and see, you know, hey, let's see this thing through. Let's go, you know, play for that title. Will there be an asterisk next to whoever is crowned champion if it happens? Yeah, I, I, I see and hear that a lot. I, I think it's as long as you have something resembling a real playoff, it, you know, maybe there's some shortened series early in the early rounds, but as long as the, you know, maybe the conference finals and the NBA finals are seven games, I think everyone will get past that. I think it'll be, uh, without an asterisk, it'll probably be talked about things like the lockout seasons where it was, well, you know, that was that weird lockout season and this happened, you know, and that, that happened and those kind of things. Now, if you get something weird like the Brooklyn Nets get in as a seven or eight seed and then Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are back on the floor, now all of a sudden that you know maybe paints a little bit of a different picture, even though those the, the, the all signs are that they won't play. But I think those are the things that you're kind of looking at and wondering about. But I think as long as it's something resembling a real playoffs, I think everybody will be on board and say, all right, we got this. We understand what it is. Let's all just move it forward because this is what it's going to be. What has been your major takeaway from the Michael Jordan docuseries? Yeah, I, so I lived through all of that. And, you know, so a lot of it isn't overly new to me, but it's so well done and well presented that it's absolutely keeping me enthralled. I think really these last couple episodes were two of the best. When you really got to see the end of that, uh, I believe it was episode seven, where he, he was just 20-some-odd years later, he's breaking down because of how competitive he is and how much he wanted everybody else to want it as much as him. And that's something when you read about the truly great athletes and every sport uh that's something that they all share it's a lot of times why some of them you know don't never go on to be coaches or or general managers or anything because they they just can't get the their teams to the same level that they were at and then they don't have that direct impact on the floor to to do it for them so that's that was uh re- really neat to, to me to see but i'll tell you my number one takeaway is my my 10 year old daughter has been watching it with us we, we've been allowing her to watch the uncensored version which maybe says a lot about us as parents um but you know we've got her her watching it and she just the fact that she she didn't really know anything about michael jordan and she looked over to me at a couple different points and said wow it really was like he could fly and i think that's pretty cool what how many in your time covering sports in general what what percentage of athletes do you think have that care factor that jordan had because i mean and the way he expresses it is different i wrote a column about this but like tim duncan was very was a fierce competitor but he didn't necessarily beat up on his teammates the way jordan did is this how common is that I don't know that it's as common as we think. I, I think you, you definitely, the, the truly great players, I think, are there. I, I, I'm with you that I think a lot of them don't express it the way Michael Jordan did. Um, but, you know, I, a guy I grew up you know, watching was Larry Bird, and, and you would always hear about how he would, you know, relentlessly ride guys who he just didn't believe had it, and guys who weren't gonna gonna help them. The, the Joe Barry Carrolls of the world and the Brad Lowhouses. He was, you know, all over those guys, and was, you know, uh, did, 
they don't have it. I'm going to you know get them out of here. And then I think you have other guys who are a little bit quieter leaders. You know, John Stockton, I think, absolutely had that, you know, that, that attitude of, you know, winning is, is right there for me. It's, a, you know, all the way is the top priority and it's all I want to do. But he wasn't out there, you know, belittling people and, and driving them down. I think that's the form of leadership. But, but I think to get to that truly all-time great level, you either have to have an abundance, a ridiculous amount of talent, um, to overcome, eh, only kind of caring, or you need to, you know, really, really care, and then the very best, obviously, have both. You know, one thing with this this Jordan documentary that that stood out to me is I didn't realize how much Jordan really isolated himself. He wasn't popular with his his teammates. He didn't treat them particularly well. But it goes back to early in the series where he talked about how he dropped by the hotel room and there was drugs and some things that he didn't want to be a part of. And he decided then that it was going to be him. And I'm sure you've noticed camaraderie in the locker room has been a bit of a topic around here during this whole thing. And uh, I'm curious how much. Locker room camaraderie and and everybody getting along, how much does that really matter when it comes to ultimate success in the NBA? Yeah, I think it does matter. I think it's a level of buy-in where, where guys trust each other and they, they believe in each other and they, they want it for each other. I think that's important. But then I think there is a part of it, too, where winning brings that as well. I, the team I am here with in Orlando, the Magic, it's been a pretty good locker room for a number of years, but when they were finally getting to be a playoff team last year with this group, it just became a very different sort of place. And I think it was it was very special for them because they all a lot of their key guys went through that together. They, they'd been together for any number of years, you know, four or five years for some of them to push in and finally get there and get into the playoffs and, and to have done it together. But, but there were times when it was – it was always a pretty good locker room. There was never any issues that I ever saw in there, but it was more of a, um, well, once they were finally there, you you got a whole different sense. So I, I think it's one of those things you, you needed early on, but I think winning, as does a lot of things, cures all. But then I think there's a point, too, to it as well on the flip side, when you were together for as many years as a team like the Bulls were, there becomes a point where it just kind of grinds on guys, where it's like, this isn't for me. I think Horace Grant is a great example of that, where I just – I don't want to do it anymore and I'm not going to you know I've done my part and been here and I'm moving on from this and I know Jordan was retired at that time but I think that's where he was getting to anyway at that point in his career so when you used an interesting word there you said four uh and who was it who said that players shouldn't just play with each other they need to play for each other what the what the heck does that mean I guess that's (laughs) sort of what you just addressed but uh what what does that mean? Yeah, for me, that means when I look at you're celebrating the success of the guy next to you as much as you want your success celebrated. And that, that to me, is something that's really important. I, I look at a team like the Toronto Raptors last year. You could really feel as that season went along, it didn't matter who made the shot. It didn't matter who made the stop. It didn't even matter who was on the floor. They were all happy for the other guy as much as they were happy for themselves. And for me, when you get to that point, it is knowing, you know, hey, in that Raptors example, Kawhi's going to be the guy to take us home. But I'm content 
with that. I don't need to be that guy. I don't have to, you know, do more than what is there because I'm happy to have that. And, and if it's not him, if Kyle Lowry knocks down the shot or Marcus All comes up with a big play or one of the role players steps up and does something big in that finals run, those guys are always just so pulling for each other. And I think it's, it's more of a feel thing and you see it as it kind of develops and you see it over time that, you know, this team, they don't really care who's doing what, just that they are doing it and that they're winning and to me that's when you can really feel that that they're playing for each other as much as anything else keith we love it when you have a chance to jump on the show thank you very much for doing so and we'll talk to you soon absolutely thank you for having me guys i hope you all stay safe you and yours right back at you keith thank you so much our friend keith smith from yahoo real gm and pro basketball talk big thanks to him uh, for jumping on and he uh, he seemed pretty uh optimistic about things uh returning or at least that's the impression i got yeah, and he made it seem as though that the players are eager to get back at it, most of them. Right. I, I think, you know, and he um, he he said this as much, too. I, I think maybe some folks will take some convincing, uh, but the majority, it, it I would guess, uh, would be eager to get back. What did you think of his characterization of the way uh, the playoffs are likely to uh, unfold as far as being – an isolated environment. Well, I actually do think that they're going to try and fi- finish some games even without playoff teams or likely playoff teams because I think there's there's a, a pretty financial, big financial incentive to do so. Um, but I, I mean, I think what he the way he laid it out, I, I think is is pretty realistic. I mean that that's the the testing's the the center of it, and he alluded to that as well. Especially if you're going to have players be able to bring their families and those sorts of things. So you know that that one big question is is still there. But as soon as you can get that resolved uh, to most everybody's satisfaction, then I think you absolutely can re- realistically do it. They may get a little tired of having that nose swab, but, you know, if that's the price uh, they've got to pay to do this safely, I think most, I don't want to speak for all players, certainly, but most players would, would jump on board. If and as this becomes closer to a, a real thing, it really makes me wonder how the Jazz will be able to reform and and, and come back together. And how will they play? And what shape will they be in? And uh, at what level of efficiency will they be able to perform? I, I, I have no clue about any of those answers to que- those questions. Uh, but it, it would be, as you said earlier, it would be fascinating and a lot of fun to find out. I think the Jazz have some things working for them and some things working uh, against them. Which, what is the number one thing working for and number one thing working against? Uh, you know what? My answer is the same for both. You ready for this? Yeah. <clears throat> Drum roll, please. Quinn Snyder. That's my answer for both. Now, what about Quinn? Uh, he's a great coach and uh, have no uh, doubt in my mind that he's uh, going to be um, leading his team the right way. And a good coach, I think, is going to matter a lot to how teams come back and uh, how they prepare for whatever, you know, uh, bubble extravaganza we're in store for. And I think, uh, you know, there are a few coaches in the league you'd rather have than Quinn Snyder in that circumstance but also traditionally with jazz teams they're slow starters and good finishers right 
And so with this interruption, I wonder what team comes back. Is it the team that still needs to work a little bit to click, or do they come back and pick up where they left off? Because Dennis Lindsay said on our show the other day, and I totally agree with him, the frustrating part about this was you really saw results in the last couple of weeks before this happened. I mean, the Jazz started playing really well and were, were getting away from some of that inconsistency, and that was just interrupted. And so now when they come back, will they be able to hit the ground running, which with Quinn Snyder teams has not exactly been their strength. So I would say that's why Quinn Snyder is really my answer for both because I think he's a, a great coach to, to lead a team through truly unique circumstances, but also his teams haven't been the fastest starters. So how will, how will that play its way out? So well, the, is, the, is the fact that they are, they are not always the quickest off the block, is that due to a lack of knowledge or is it due to a lack of timing? Because if it's knowledge, well, this team has figured that out or most of it, they already have that stored up in their right. in their memory. Right. And so you would expect that to be minimized uh, to some extent. Uh, on the other hand, if it is timing, because a lot of guys touch the ball at the offensive end, and at the defensive end, there's a lot of team defense that ends up getting played. Right. So I wonder if that needs to be refined. I wonder, too. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a big... Well, if we get this answer, I, I I'm not sure. I think there's probably a little bit of both, right? Timing you, you and could, getting familiar with the offense. So you you could make the argument that teams that can rely on pure talent uh, will have an advantage because that talent didn't go anywhere. Oh, I totally agree with that. I think you're right on the money there. I think. Uh, Whereas know. a team that has to coordinate and all that, all yep. that stuff needs to get back uh, to be a well-oiled machine. Yeah, like the Lakers and the Clippers, LeBron and Anthony Davis don't care how fat the rest of the team is. They're coming. <laughs> they're going to carry everybody, right? And and Paul George and and Kawhi Leonard probably feel the same. Is their you know their talent can carry a team you know through the playoffs into a championship? We've seen it with uh, Kawhi and LeBron. So, yeah, I absolutely think those star, top-heavy teams are going to have an advantage, 100%. On the other hand, they could be tired. They could uh, they could uh, take too much upon themselves and then yeah, but wear the, out. Those guys benef- are benefiting from rest. We can agree to that, and, right? And I and imagine they circ- also have the resources right. to have been able to train fully during it, this period. Exactly. Let's not pretend that LeBron doesn't have a, uh, you know— practice facility right there at his house <laughs> or he could probably he could probably buy one or he could probably rent one or right? kick everybody else out yes, exactly. and, and tell the the cleaning crew to come in and disinfect everything and it's his for the next two months good news everyone i just bought a gold's gym and it's all <laughs> for me <laughs> yeah, uh, I think those guys have a little bit of an advantage that way. But but do the Jazz have an advantage to uh, that they can get players in the building right now, where other uh, other franchises can't? So you know, what that's percentage of the league can get players in the building? Wow, I don't know. That'd be interesting yeah, to neither. see. I mean, the California teams aren't right. I suppose not. Um, the teams in the Northeast, uh, my guess is, still cannot. Yeah. I mean, I think states like Illinois and Michigan are still pretty locked down, right? So I don't know if those – I'm with you. It would be really interesting to look through and see. 
I wonder if some of the uh, you know more well-heeled players could just say, okay, everybody meet me at this location where we can get a gym and we can work out and we can get ourselves in proper form uh, moving into a postseason. Uh, I, I wonder if any of that is going on or if because of the uh, unanswered questions that nobody is, is going full bore in that regard right now. I I'm, don't know. I'm sure it's going on. I'm sure it is. Millions of dollars at stake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you can well, procure, it, it, uh, if you can uh, procure the uh, Mount Olympus Third Ward and uh, get some folks together at a gym, I bet they're doing it. Oh, you think they're kicking everybody out of the church and taking over the gym? No, I was just joking because that's a, a gym that's around here, you know, that uh, is in every neighborhood in Utah. I think Joe Ingalls uh, called up the 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 bishop of whatever ward he lives in and says, hey, I need I'm to— take it over your gym. I need to get down there and get some shots up. Uh, well, all right. As long as he pays his tithing. <laughs> as long as the, the 10% goes through. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, all right, uh, we'll have more coming up right around the corner. Stay tuned. Bowler jumps on the show at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, so absolutely stay tuned for that. But joining us now, he's our good friend Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic. And, uh, you know, Andrew, I, you, you, sometimes these things are a little bit embarrassing to talk about or guys are embarrassed, but I'm sure you see guys after they go through your treatment come out all the time and say, wow, well, that was worth it. I should have gotten over that years ago. Yeah, all the time. Every day that happens. In fact, guys with erectile dysfunction, they delay and delay. And then they go through the treatments and they almost always say that was not as bad as I thought. I wish I would have come in earlier when, you know, maybe it was easier to fix. Uh, and, and that's a key point here is if things are headed in the wrong direction in the bedroom, you're struggling. Um, it's so much easier to fix when you have some function left. We can, in fact probably get you back to 100%. Whereas if you wait until it's completely gone, which can happen, um, it's, it's much more difficult to get back. So if you're at 60% or 70%, our wave technology will regrow the blood vessels and you will see a significant increase in blood flow. And, and that's really what ED is, is it's a lack of blood flow. You know, people come up to me because they know you, you come on our show all the time and, and ask me, they say, does, does it really work? And you, yeah. you've got a bunch of research right there on your website you can point to. It works. Yeah. And apart from just the thousands of guys that we hear from all the time, right, right. you can go to the science. Yeah, you can go to the science page at WasatchMedicalClinic.com and read what all of these journals have done. And they've, they've taken, in some cases, 600 guys across the country, tested them, and it it spells it out, how many improved. And then they go back to these guys three years later and say, is it still working? And 90% of the guys that went through it, it's still working years and years later. So the science is sound. This is used on other parts of the body. It's a proven technology. The FDA cleared it, and this can work and eliminate the ED. 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Call, and folks can come in right there and talk to the doctor and find out if it will work for them, right? Yeah, so much for free right now. The initial assessment, exam, blood flow ultrasound, whether you do our treatments or not, you're going to get a special gift that produces instant results in the bedroom. It's it's fabulous. Um, all of that is free to those that call and set up the consultation. All right. 801-901-8000. Give them a call right now. 801-901-8000. Thank you, Andrew. 
Thank you. Andrew Reinhardt, our friend from Wasatch Medical Clinic. More Big Show straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. Our friend Sven requested this on a Total Request Tuesday. Well done, Sven. Love this song. Gordon? Uh, it's okay. See, you find a way to just hate on the best music. I don't get it. What, what happened with this one? I don't know. It's it's, it's fine. Okay. All right. I mean, I, 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 haven't, I haven't broken down the song, and uh, I, I just, it's okay. Gordon, uh, let's. Uh, uh, we've got some bad news for people that like uh, hot maction. Uh, the Mac. What does that stand for? The Metro Mid America. Mid American is that what it is? The Mid American yeah, Conference. Like mm-hmm. um, they're going to be eliminating postseason tournaments for multiple sports, and they're making adjustments to the men and women's basketball and volleyball tournaments, starting with the 2021 season. Uh, They're eliminating postseason tournaments for the following sports, Gordon, baseball, softball, men's soccer, women's soccer, men's tennis, women's lacrosse, women's uh, tennis, if I didn't mention that, and uh, field hockey. Uh, This is all over uh, financial uh, uh, issues uh, related to COVID-19, where we're already seeing it affect other sports, Gordon. This is bad news. Uh, yes, and this is to be expected, is it not? I mean, this is uh, this is the beginning of that. I think we'll see a whole lot more of it. It's just a reality that uh, these various athletic departments around and, and through some conferences have uh, have suffered uh, uh, in ways that they will have. Uh, it'll take a, a while for it to recover. Uh, that's what I read there. But, you know, once you do this kind of thing, I wonder how does that affect recruiting moving forward? You oh, know? big time. I mean, yeah. if you're, uh, you know, you raised a few uh, women's tennis players there, Gordon. Certainly uh, your daughters played sports all growing up. But, uh, I mean, if one of your daughters was considering playing tennis at a Mac school, if they didn't have a, a postseason tournament, uh, that, that would affect her decision, right? Yes, I think it would. It would certainly affect mine if I were in that situation. Uh, which is really too bad. Their commissioner, John Steinbrecher, said this, Gordon, quote, the pandemic and resulting financial issues play into that. Speaking of the changes, uh, as the financial situation changes, it will give us a chance to reevaluate. Uh, so hopefully they do uh, reevaluate. Uh, but he did add that these changes will take place at least for the next four years. And that's a lot of time. Yep. And who was it who told us that they thought that the uh, it would be more punitive to the smaller schools than the big schools. Or actually, no. Somebody said it was. We've heard we've heard that both ways. We've heard that the bigger athletic departments will suffer more because they will lose greater amounts of money. But it's hard to take something from nothing. Um, I we've talked about this a number of times. We've had a, several guests who have talked about this, and it's certainly the smaller schools that that will yeah. suffer more. Well, if for no other reason, then who relies mostly on gate revenue? I mean, I don't know what the I don't know what the max TV deal is, but I'm guessing that it's not, (laughs) you know, as big a part of the budget as as other schools. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, most athletic departments operate on razor thin. You know, there's not a lot of wiggle room in those budgets. 
Do you really think the effect should be four years, though? Doesn't that sound extreme? Well, no, if if you're bringing in zero revenue. For one year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. One year? Athletic departments can't afford to go dark for a year. Well, I mean... <laughs> That's but, a lot of that's that's tons of money. What company out there can't, can't afford, afford to? to. I mean, they have to afford to, right? They can't. What do you mean they have to? This is this is the, the result of can't afford to. <laughs> We're, you're looking so what, at it. They can't afford to. It's going to take that long to save up enough to be able to do it again. Oh man, I bet longer. Well, then why not say eight years? I don't know. I don't know. You think they're lying? I'm not sure. What do you want? I, riots in I, the on the campus? What are you talking about here? <laughs> I, I, look, the, the point is that it, it is it will hurt these athletic departments, and they're going to have to find a way to just float, to keep the boat afloat for the next little while, and then and then do what they can to climb back to it. But that that seems like that would be devastating for those particular sports in that conference. Because for, just for the reason that you already said, Jake, if I'm an athlete and I see that, I'm going to go to some other school somewhere else where I, I'm not afraid that they're going to take away my opportunity to rise to the top. And I'm sure that uh, Commissioner John Steinbrecher is telling all these, uh, you know, uh, baseball, softball, soccer players that uh, they should be happy they have a program to play in at all because that's probably what's next. Well, and uh, what's the guarantee if they go somewhere else, an athlete of that caliber, uh, if they go to a different school, that the same thing won't happen there? Hmm. I but, mean, like he's, I mean, you're talking about keeping it afloat. That's exactly what this is. I mean, that's yeah. that's what they're doing. They're they're trying because I mean, looks like they're being pretty honest and forthright with the whole thing because they didn't have to announce that. Did and they? I yeah, I I don't know, but I I would guess too they'd probably say this is better than shuttering entirely. Which might be on the table if it gets much worse. Man, I hope that doesn't happen. I really hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's tough news for uh, athletes that play in the MAC. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So think about what would happen if if universities and colleges actually had to go back to being academic institutions instead of bases for sport. And I think they are academic institutions. What do you mean go back to? Well, without sports being a part of that equation meaning what they would have to concentrate on academics and not athletics they're not already concentrating on academics i don't know is the mac are the schools in the mac uh, are those football factories or are those uh, basketball factories i'm pretty sure they're churning out degrees like all the other universities with yeah. or without sports we my know, point uh, is, my point is, it was a joke, Jake, uh, where a, a school would actually have to be mostly a school and not uh, not an athletic factor. I knew what you were getting at, but I, you know my opinion. I, I believe in the term student-athlete. Oh, please. What do you mean, oh, please? I do. Play it, Austin. <laughs> I don't think that's necessary to play anything. It always is. <laughs> Uh, coming up next. I hate amateurism. Pay those college athletes. Coming up next. And, and the other one, too. Please, I need to hear it right <laughs> The now. Not Sports Report straight ahead. Stay tuned. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
Check this out. And now your not sports report on 975-1280 the zone and the zone sports network. This one goes out to Jazz Uni Tracker. Want a little cold as ice? It's the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, thank you very much for making us part of your day. It's time for the Not Sports Report. Gordon's Time to Shine, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? We're going to uh, London. But before we go, let me ask you. How many steps do you think you've taken in your lifetime? At least a hundred. I can tell you, <laughs> what, to the refrigerator and back? <laughs> At least a hundred steps least, in my lifetime, yeah. I looked it up and I Googled it. And uh, according to uh, this information online, your average uh, moderately active human takes 216 million Two hundred and sixty-two thousand and five hundred steps in his lifetime. All right. Mm-hmm. Why do I bring that up? Why do you think I'm bringing it up? I'm guessing a story from London that involves walking. It does. A man who had a fifty-one-year-old man. His name is um, Rob Ferguson. Had planned on climbing Mount Everest this season. Uh, the two, the 29,035-foot mountain, uh, but it was closed by local officials there because of the coronavirus pandemic, and so he was unable to climb the mountain. Now, he measured somehow the, the equivalent distance on the stairs in his apartment building and decided to climb the equivalent of steps up and down uh, to the second floor where his apartment is there in London. Um, And he used a half flight of stairs, if you can believe this. That takes a lot of resolve, doesn't it? Using a half flight of stairs, uh, he... Uh, went up and down those steps 6,506 times over the course of 24 hours and 30 minutes in order to complete that, the equivalent, the length of the hike up Mount Everest. And he did it for a good cause. He did it to raise money for uh, frontline health workers and whatnot. So good for him. Uh, what do you make? Any any chronicle? He documented the thing on Zoom, so that people like you and Austin couldn't come along and say you didn't do it. You know, like you did with my dinner uh, marathon the other night. Well, this guy videoed the whole thing, unlike someone else we know. <laughs> so, how much credit are you going to give him? Because here's my problem with it. I mean, it, that's a lot of stepping. I mean, and that's a lot of good hard work. And uh, but you don't have storms blowing in through your staircase, you know, 
You don't have blizzards blowing in. You don't have the wind. You don't have the elements. You don't have all that stuff that people die on Mount Everest dealing with. So because this guy had the good sense to do it indoors, we have to <laughs> not award him for his efforts? Come on. Well, I mean, he's got the, maybe the air conditioner blowing. Or maybe a little heat. But he's not exactly facing... What's your typical climber Mount Everest has to uh, has to deal with? Did he or did he not have a Sherpa helping him? That's I was going to say, hey, what, he didn't have a, a Sherpa doing all the work for him either. <laughs> I just can you. Where's imagine John Krakauer when you need him? You ever wonder why we give people so much credit for climbing Mount Everest when those Sherpas are going up and down like <laughs> like a hundred times a year? <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Like they're but... going to get the mail right. for these Sherpas. Now, have you ever talked to anybody who's climbed Mount Everest? I don't hang out with pretentious people. Yeah, I don't either. What do you mean pretentious? Did that have pretentious? To, I say it? that because one of our big listeners, Ute Daddy, did Everest a couple years ago. He did? Good yeah. for him, man. Wait, wait, I mean, of course it's pretentious. Who could afford to take a month off work to go to a foreign country to <laughs> climb a mountain? <laughs> And spend the and money to tell do everyone so. about it yeah. everywhere you go. Just because they got a no. like a, a, a burr in their saddle to do it. No, like no. I know. No, I'll, they're I'll, looking. I'll set money ablaze to no. do this just so I can no. tell people about it. Yes, come on. Yes, Every, everybody who's like climbs, driving a Porsche. Everybody Porsche who climbs Mount Everest <laughs> doesn't doesn't have tons of money. It might be a, a, a bucket list item. It might be a goal that they've had. And so they save and they save and they work their tails off and they save their money up and then they go climb the mountain. I'm not going to uh, accuse them of being an elitist because they happen to want to climb the, the world's tallest mountain. The typical cost to climb Everest with a Western agency is $45,000. Oh, is well, that I all? Mean, no, but if you save that up over a decade... You know, and again, who could just take a month off work? Uh, does it really take a month? Uh, I don't know how long the whole process takes. Uh, all I know is, uh, I bet if you looked at a pie chart on the uh, you know types of people that uh, that climb Mount, says Everest, around two months. Two months to climb. I bet you eccentric rich people with uh, <laughs> money to burn is, okay, a, is a pretty wide Google, chunk. Google the uh, the demographics of people who climb Mount Everest. It's like that's out there. I, I don't know. I mean, I just looked up how many steps the average human takes in a lifetime. And so what does that mean? If we take 212 million steps and we're all climbing Mount Everest. So you're giving yourself credit for climbing Everest now, huh? I think I have climbed Mount Everest I in how my many, lifetime. How many, how many steps that you've taken in your life compared to your average human? You think it'd be more or less? Oh, I think uh, it would be, uh, uh, I don't know. It's, I, I imagine, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm substantially uh, active. This, this from the guy who went on a hike once and compared those cramps to childbirth. And the the guy who, when he was on trek with his family, was in the car moving the gear. He didn't well, want to be. Somebody, someone, had, no. to, somebody <laughs> had to move the cars. I, I, I rub, I rub. Hey, hey, hey! I have I have done my fair. I've climbed mountains in my lifetime. I have done I've done all kinds of stuff. That, Metaphorical uh, t- or t- 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 no? No, I've climbed mountains. Uh, and here's the thing about it. I mean, we're okay, so I think well, my point is I think we all should give ourselves credit. For if this guy's going to take credit for going up and down the steps in his apartment building, I think uh, we all should maybe raise a glass 
and uh, congratulate ourselves for for being uh, for conquering Mount Everest. Again, we're not facing in most conditions. We're not facing you know life and death climatology, but I, know, and I, I don't know about that snow that uh, snow monster up there. What's his name again? Uh, the abominable snowman. <laughs> I mean, is he I up there? I, uh, uh, yeah. I, I just can't believe you, you think climbing Mount Everest isn't pretentious. Of course it's pretentious. I don't think so. I talked to a guy who climbed it once. And exactly. He, uh, and, and he it, told and you. And he I climbed well, Everest. I mean, couldn't wait to tell and you And I do it. CrossFit. <laughs> but it was, it, but it was from interesting. <laughs> it was interesting to hear about the journey. I mean, I've seen specials that it's it's crowded up there during the climbing season and whatnot. I mean, but I didn't know they had to close down the whole freaking mountain. I but. I would love to read that guy's journal. Kept ourselves warm by burning stacks of cash at night. Oh, come on. Yeah, I love the way you just, you take everyone. You, Daddy, for instance. He climbed Mount Everest. You guys are calling him an elitist. Yep. Yep. Sure are. I hope Ali, I hope I hope that you, Daddy, is listed right now. In fact, I would love to have him on the now, show. Wait a moment, him. though. We're calling him elitist, but you're saying you've done the exact same thing as him. You want the same credit yeah. as he's getting for actually climbing Everest. Well, I wasn't singling myself out. I think we've all climbed Mount Everest. And no, maybe we've climbed it multiple times, but we didn't face <laughs> we, we we didn't face the danger that that uh, that he faced. I'd like to get him on the show. I want to know about what his experience. If anybody listening to our show right now has climbed Mount Everest, please, uh, uh, Austin, give me your cell phone number. Okay, 801. Dear journal, day five. We, we buttoned close our $10,000 coats and braved the elements. The good fur and mink was helpful today. All right, let's get out of the zone. But Bowler joins us coming up next. Oh, okay, we'll get to uh, Andrew coming up here this in a is, bit. This is like uh, uh, putting together a model car and calling yourself a master mechanic. Right, a little bit. Uh, give out the phone number, Austin. I want to hear no. from somebody who's climbed Mount Everest. And I, oh, I want to know what kind of car they drive. <laughs> <laughs> and do they do CrossFit? You know, I never thought of that, Jake. Only you guys. You, you, where do you go off? Somebody accomplishes something in their life, and the first thing you want to do is accuse, accuse them of wasting money. I remember when I climbed Mount Everest. <laughs> mm. We took the G5 to get there. All right, let's get out of the zone. Phone. Joining us now from Wasatch Medical Clinic, he's our good friend Andrew Reinhardt, helping listeners with their love lives. And frankly, Andrew, you talk about this a lot. Probably a lot of guys out there that have been frustrated with this for a long time. Yeah, uh, it's funny because guys will come in, they're struggling with erectile dysfunction, and, and they have. They've been struggling for a long time. They haven't talked to anybody about it, sometimes not even their own doctor. Uh, the ones that have talked to their own doctor have just gotten prescription for pills, and it's pills, pills, pills. Um, as far as I know, this is the only treatment that addresses the root cause problem of erectile dysfunction, that lack of blood flow. Um, urology times and therapeutic advances of urology. I was watching a new film with a group of urologists discussing this treatment just last week, and it's clinical study after clinical study that says we can restore the normal function in the bedroom with this technology, the wave therapy. And here's the best part. It's not surgical. 
Uh, it's not invasive. It doesn't even break the skin. It's not an injection or a needle. It's totally natural, and we get the blood flow going where you want it, when you want it. Who's a good candidate for this, Andrew? Great question. Um, anybody that is noticing any kind of erectile dysfunction is likely a good candidate. There are very few that would need to be disqualified from this. Um, but just in case, we're going to make sure everybody is screened by a doctor. Uh, if you're out there and struggling, you're noticing that things aren't as good in the bedroom as they used to be, it's very, very likely that this you can benefit from these treatments. 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Uh, make an appointment, get in there, talk to the doctor for free, right, Andrew, and a little something uh, extra as well? Yes, free analysis, free exam, blood flow ultrasound. Uh, we're throwing in a special gift, a little extra produces instant results in the bedroom. It's phenomenal. Um, this is probably 500 bucks in value. It's free to those that call us now. 801-901-8000. 801-901-8000. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. That's our friend Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic. Craig Bowler Jack joins us next. 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone.